Well, good day and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, a senior editor at Light Reading. Hey, Jeff. Thanks. Great to be here. This is Dan Whalen, uh, the CEO at ATX Networks. Great. Hey, Dan. Uh, thanks for joining me here today. It's good to have you on the podcast. Fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Sure thing. So today, I, I definitely want to dig into some big picture stuff with respect to what's going on in the uh, cable world, with respect to things like uh, DAA and DOCSIS 4.0, and all the all the um, excuse me all the access network stuff. But before we get into that, I wanted to uh, maybe explore some of the news that ATX just put out there, right? So namely. Uh, the introduction of the, uh, it's called the Field Personnel Replenishment Program. Is that right? Okay. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, looking through it and, you know, it's an initiative. I'm just kind of reading off of it. Focus on cable tech training and overcome labor shortages and help operators push ahead with their network evolution projects. So um, that's my brief description, but uh, maybe I'd have you, Dan, you know, explain the origins of it and right. and uh, kind of the status of it uh, now that the announcement's out there. Yeah, great. Hey, look, we're really excited about this program. Uh, you know, as a company that lives and breathes cable broadband and video, you know, over the years, we've seen our customers struggle at times with finding enough labor for initiatives, you know, whether at times it was fiber companies drawing away construction crews or, you know, it's the attraction of the shiny new technology luring away engineering talent from legacy tech. They've had challenges at times, but post-COVID, it just feels exacerbated. You know, more people, a lot of people rethinking their careers, work-life balance, moving to different geographies, you know, couple that with massive government funding flowing into fiber builds. And, you know, our cable customers need someone they can rely on to help them build and upgrade their networks. And that's kind of where ATX comes in. Uh, you know, we're already a trusted partner to the cable community. And in 2022, we doubled down on professional services and started ramping our professional services program aggressively and, uh, you know, to provide more resource focused on cable inside and outside plant, walk out, design and build. And, you know, this field personnel replenishment program is geared at attracting and training technicians that will focus on cable operators needs and really, you know, feed into our professional services business. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really tied together in, 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 you know, they're tied at the hip in a way. Yeah. And the, the professional services group. So is that, that's, is that relatively new just to kind of refresh my memory on that? Yeah, it is. We, okay. we, uh, we announced that we were enhancing that group in the second quarter of 2022. Um, mm -hmm. we, you, we had to do some services. It was never a focus for the company, but we brought in Bob Murphy, you know, a cable exec, that's been in this space for a long time and we've been building a team there and have seen that business ramp dramatically already in the second half of this year. Right. And as far as the, the new program, we're talking about the uh, field personnel replenishment program. Um, I mean, uh, beyond the, the initial announcement, uh, I mean, how far downstream are you with that? And also uh, did, did it come like kind of on the push and pull of it? You know, did you just, see an opportunity there or were you getting requests like, Hey, if you guys could jump in and help us out, sure would be great. Yeah. To quote some of the cable execs, as we've talked about our service offerings, you know, when we tell them if we have a hundred people, they say we need, if, if you have a hundred people, we actually need 200 people essentially. <laughs> you just double it. Right. <laughs> just double it. And, uh, you know, 
we have our cable hats on completely when we think about this program and we're trying, the thing about it is we're trying to attract and train technicians on cable specific uh, deployment practices and upgrade activities. Uh, it's, it's subtly different. It's not just training. It's, it's going out and getting people, you know, in vocational schools or people that we know that are already committed to wanting to be in this type of a, you know, an industry or, you know, you get leveraging this type of a talent or skill that they have. So, uh, you know, the need for more trained people faster for cable, some of it's being dr driven by competition, you know, a lot of that funded by government, uh, you know, government fiber funding. And, uh, you know, of course, cable is not only doing their HFC upgrades, they're participating in a lot of this fiber funding as well. Um, so they're starting to deploy fiber, not only in greenfield locations, but even going after rural and underserved markets. And, uh, you know, these technicians will do both. You know, you know, the thing we can do that may differentiate ourselves in this space as you attract and train these people is we're able to pair them with like a journeyman experts that are doing the actual field work and sort of do an on the on the job type of training activity with them. Right. And how, um, yeah, I don't know if dire is the right word, <laughs> but, but how, uh, uh, how acute is like the situation right now? With, with labor, I mean, how would you even characterize it? Is it a, uh, uh, like, a, uh, is there a massive gap there or is it kind of a little gap? Um, you know, I think with the rural activity kind of ramping up, maybe it's branching toward uh, significant, but, uh, you know, just kind of get a sense of what you're seeing. Yeah, you know, I, I would say that people have been pulling the fire alarm on this for a while. I, I can't really go into an executive meeting in the cable space without hearing about the need for more labor in this space. And, uh, you know, I so I would, it's somewhere maybe short of massive, but <laughs> north of significant, right? And and I, you know, and, and it really is hitting them because a lot of these people that are coming out, they want to work on fiber and, uh, you know, that's that's one of the challenges for a cable guy is getting people to come in and work on their technology, which is maybe not applicable to the rest of you know what everybody else is doing. Right. Interesting. And then as far as like uh, recruiting and, and finding talent out there, people to number one, get get trained and then get deployed to do these uh Projects. I think the, the release mentioned some partnerships, but maybe you can talk a little bit about, hey, where, where are you finding these people? Uh, I mean, it's yeah. a big country, but it's, yeah. uh, you, know, you still have to kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, zero in on, on what you can find. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's for us, it's, you know, I would say it's very much, uh, you know, hand in hand with the professional services businesses that we're doing. So we're probably, you know, as I mentioned, we've ramped that business. We're actually looking at community colleges and vocational schools in those markets that we know we're working in because we know we have the people there to help bring them on board and train them um, in, in market. We know that we're going to have work for them to get involved in immediately after they're trained. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, a, it's sort of an opportunistic success-based, you know, approach to this with, uh, with it. And, you know, we've, since since announcing this, you know, we, we've had a number of customers even come to us and say, hey, could, is there a way that we could sort of uh, dovetail off of this with you and have you handle the training part? But we're going to need you. Know, if we give you the, the the requisite needs that we have. Can you 
So you're gonna tailor it, gonna tailor yeah. it for them in that in that yeah. way. Okay, versus mm-hmm. a on top of the uh, kind of the baseline yeah. training that you're providing. Okay, and uh, then you yeah. know, once they're going to be, I mean, how how long is it going to take to get somebody trained up? And then uh, how do they get deployed? You know, how do you determine where they go? Um, I imagine it have to be you know nearby where they are, maybe are they going out of state? Are they you know, yeah. moving them around the country? How, you know, how, how is that being distributed? Yep. Yeah. You know, our, our approach to professional service is kind of establishing working crews in, you know, say a four hour driving radius so we can keep yeah. them busy in the markets that we have um, MSO field projects going on already. So, the, and, and that would be the area that we would target getting those people in. And the differentiation that we think we really bring to this is this is a, a program that really extends beyond the classroom training and giving them hands-on experience, whether it's you know driving a truck, doing the splicing, uh, using physical meters, um, it, all of it, right? And and uh, couple that with our product expertise, and that we already developed the training curriculum on how to deploy the methods of procedures for deploying and configuring the products that we make for the MSO community. We can repurpose a lot of that um, and and provide that to them as well. Okay. Now, are you doing all the curriculum yourself or are you working with a partner or is it kind of a, a hybrid? You know, how, how are you uh, getting that part of it done? Yeah, for, for the most part, we're, we're building the curriculum ourselves, leveraging, um, you know, leveraging the, the either the documentation methods and procedures that we've built ourselves or leveraging field experts that we have doing projects for us today to do it. We have leaned on some of our professional services partners, the ones doing some of the outside plant construction work to offer what they offer to their technicians and, and sort of incorporate that into what we're doing but uh, you know we're, we're just in a great spot to be able to doing it giving it given that we have to develop a lot of it for the products that we make for the industry along with doing the professional services work today right and on top yeah when you're when you're talking about the training piece though um yeah maybe you can talk a little bit about how what you're doing here is uh competitive or maybe complementary to you know so, some of the others in the market have been yeah. focused on, you know, one that comes to mind is like, you know, NCTI, but I also think, well, SCT has, has training, um, as well. So how do you kind of fit into that puzzle? Yeah, both, both of those organizations provide great training to the cable industry. And as this, tar- as this program is a little more targeted at recruiting talent in the early stages, right? Getting them while they're in a vocational school or in a community college focused on something similar or, you know, some sort of similar hands-on type of technical work that they want to do. I imagine I, I call it more of a complementary program. And the likely scenario is in hopeful scenarios that some of these technicians that we train will want to expand their knowledge base by doing more with the SCT and NCTI training. Um, as we're doing the field projects, again, I, I you know, Two, two key points here. One, we're, we're trying to make this as much about a recruiting activity, going and getting the people and developing the interest in coming over and working and supporting cable technician activities. But it's also you know, enabling them to immediately see a path to full-time employment working on things. So we couple them with, with somebody that's out there already doing stuff in the field so they can get their hands on and actually feel like what it's like doing that work. The nice thing about targeting the vocational schools in this regard is most of the people that are there have already made a conscious decision 
that they want to be in this business. So we're, we're really just going out and getting those people that want to do this work and saying, Hey, come here. We have a, you know, a ton of work for you to do. And here's what the work's like. And we're going to show you how to do it. Interesting. Okay. And I realized this we're only about a week or so after the announcement was made. So uh, as you kind of look out then, I mean, what, what kind of goals have you set, you know, for, for this particular program, you know, where do you want to be six months, a year from now? Have you, are there some specific uh, goals, targets that you're going to try to hit? Yeah, you know we're we're uh, still pretty <laughs> we're still pretty early innings on the program as you know, as as you mentioned. Um, you know we're we're targeting you know we're we're targeting areas of recruitment where we have the most significant deployment activities and we'll ramp it in a success based manner. You know early numbers that I've heard is trying to get a hundred people trained in the first half of next year. Um, but you know the need for qualified technicians in cable is in the tens of thousands. Um, our objective is very clear. Let's attract good talent for cable MSO needs and provide them the right training to deliver high quality broadband services for the operators. Right. And before we kind of jump into like the bigger picture, what's going on industry wide, uh, as far as the focus of the program, right? There's like you talked about, especially with the rural and greenfield stuff, it's all fiber to the premises. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of uh, upgrade activity going on with HFC and, you know, it, it's uh, quite a diverse amount of uh, training or, you know, that would have to occur to be able to handle both. So do you anticipate, you know, focusing like, Hey, you're going to, you know, this person is going to be trained on both or fiber or HFC. I wonder if it's going to be like mutually exclusive or how, how that's going based on the amount of uh, projects out there and, and kind of what you're on top of here. Yeah. Yeah. Early stages, it's going to be, um, I, I'd say a little more binary in that we have projects going on in both areas. We have fiber deployment, fiber deployment activities going on. We have walkout design activities for HFC and we have OSP construction upgrade programs going on for mid split and high split today. So we'll, train the people early stages in that, but it's certainly part of the offer to them and the promise to them is you can certainly make, you know, do this for a little while and we have a need for you to come over and hop over from, you know, mid split to, you know, to fiber deployment. And we think that all of it's going to be valuable for cable because they're doing all of it and uh, they're going to need fiber splicers and they're going to need uh, HFC upgrade technicians. Okay. Great. All right. Well, that is kind of my, my jumping off point then into the bigger picture view of what what's going on, right? Because it, I don't know. It feels, you know, maybe I'm wrong. It just feels like uh, there's been a sudden surge in activity. Uh, maybe it's because we're just coming out of Expo, but related to like next gen HFC activity, uh, whether that's mid split, high split, DAA, you know, 4.0 you know, further out, um, on the horizon, but, um, feels like things are kind of accelerating, you know, now that we're a couple years, you know, more than two years beyond the, you know, the, the start of the pandemic when everything was just kind of backburnered because they were focused on the operators are focused on just getting enough capacity in there, you know, based on the usage patterns changing. Uh, so I guess my question <laughs> Is, yeah. um, I mean, what's the the temperature been from ATX's perspective? Uh, things picked up, or have they been kind of 
you know, uh, pretty even, you know, pretty steady. Uh, you just want to kind of get a sense from your side of it. Yeah. So they're, they're absolutely, uh, picking up, um, you know, a combination of mid split and high split deployments happening last year, this year, you know, well planned out into the next couple of years, um, you know, with very strong signals to start upgrading to DOCSIS 4.0 technology as soon as it's ready from, the, you know, not only the largest three U.S. operators that are, you know, that are talking about it quite publicly, but I'd say anywhere down the 10 to 20 of them that are slightly smaller than them, they're all like, they're all essentially signaling that they want to start moving there to future-proof their network builds. Um, you know, reading the tea leaves around that, you know, tying it back to the technician thing. So we, we believe that now's the time to jump into that because there's going to be more technical resources need, needed in the next five to seven years to meet all that demand. Um, you know, one operator pushing us really hard, you know, one had been pushing us really hard on, you know, ensuring that we pulled forward and delivered on 1.8 gigahertz amplifiers, which we're on track to do in the end of 2023. Um, you know, but we have more, several other operators have jumped in and said, hey, look, as soon as you have that product ready, we're ready to start going with it. Um, but like all for us, uh, you know, seeing the massive scale, you know, we announced that, um, SCTE right before SCTE that we were adding, a, you know, contract manufacturing facility in Michigan to really increment our ability to build amplifiers and double our capacity to build more amplifiers because we see the the storm is coming and we need to be prepared to help the operator address that. We've done a great job so far. I'm really proud of the team um, and how they've handled that through 21 and 22. But um, I think we've just hit the tip of the iceberg here. Um, in terms of HFC upgrade, and it will expand beyond into the DAA nodes as well. Um, as soon as operators start feeling comfortable that they can future-proof their node spend, they will start doing that as well. And, and uh, you know, getting the 1.8 gigahertz technology out there is going to be a really big part of you know one of the first things that triggers them to start doing that, and then they can start dropping in 1.8 gigahertz. Uh, you know, modules into their nodes at the same time when they're when they're doing docs right. for it. Uh, that's DAA. a big deal, right? Yeah. Because yeah, you're kind of with 1.8 uh, with a lot of these operators, getting it out there and kind of what I don't know, kind of grooming the network. It just feels it's, it's such a more it's, it's such an interesting time in kind of the Doxis evolution. I mean, you've been there for a lot of it, right? And uh, right. you should just be okay. Yeah, you're going to make a change at the CMTS. You're going to make a change. At the CPE didn't have to do a lot to the plant this time around. Um, DAA is a requisite, so you got to be out there touching the plant. Um, uh, so obviously, operators realize that the cost is a little bit different. I mean, it was interesting to see some stuff this week with Comcast ta talking about two hundred bucks per home pass, at least for their approach, and it was kind of interesting to look at that versus the cost for fiber to the prem. But if you look back at 3.1, it's, it was like eight bucks a home pass, right? So a little bit different, but not as expensive as fiber to the prem. So, um, but uh, yeah, so is there uh, kind of related to my first question in terms of the demand and what you're seeing out there? Um, yeah. It feels like there's a realization that, you know, the grooming, you know, the, that, that activity needs to, pick up right because yeah. uh the horizon isn't is you know you do have some horizon there but uh it doesn't go on forever 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. no, no question. You know, Comcast is leading, um, leading the charge with FDX, and certainly an important tool for the uh, operators to have in their belt to be able to do that. I think there's going to be some places where that fits in. But, you know, coming out of SCT, and I know you covered that really well, Jeff, the, the whole industry got to see how much progress has been made with the 1.8 gigahertz technology at that show. And, uh, you know, we're still anticipating, uh, you know, starting lab trials for 1.8 gigahertz amplifiers at several MSOs in the first half of 2023 and have general availability of product in the second half of the year. I think that that's going to be, when that product's out and it's generally available, you're going to see a pretty good groundswell of people say, let's start deploying the next generation of technology. Even if it costs a little more, we're going to future-proof. This thing is going to last us for the next 10 years. Let's get it out there. Um, you know, we have orders in hand from one tier one operator already for that. You know, Given supply chain constraints, that's one thing they certainly need to think about is placing orders on some of these future products because it's going to take a long time to get the components if they don't. Um, many are signaling that's their plan. Uh, you know, a number of RFPs, probably three RFPs for 1.8 gigahertz amps in hand that have been responded to and are in a final decision making at this point. Um, and, and again, I think as soon as the product's ready, they're going to start doing it on the two, on the, on the 1.8 gigahertz taps, some of those products are already available to the market, and we're deploying our 2 gigahertz taps with several customers already today. Um, and they think, you know, in terms of whether they're going out and doing it, uh, you know, wholesale or they're just arming their techs that when you need to replace a tap, do it with the one that's going to, you know, the one that we're not going to have to touch again for the next 20 years. They want to, they want to do that, and they all recognize that, you know. This for the non-FDX versions of Doxis 4.0, they're going to need to have, they have to have the 1.8 gigahertz of spectrum to work with to deliver the kind of bandwidth they want to for their customers. And, uh, you know, as soon as those products are ready, I think, you know, particularly the, the next step phase of this is the DAA nodes, the Doxis 4.0 DAA nodes. And, and I think they're going to start looking to future-proof that spend as well. And we're planning to help them there with those DAA node, best, node investments also. Okay. In order to back up a little bit on the, the capacity um, uh, activity that you talked about and kind of ramping that up, um, you know, you had mentioned supply chain as well. And as far as the uh, the decision to, you know, ramp up capacity, is that just to stay ahead of sheer demand or is it to, you know, kind of help obviate, you know, the supply chain constraints that the whole industry has been grappling with. Uh, yeah, maybe that's probably a little bit of both, but you know, what yeah. was the, the main driver there? Yeah, it was, without question, the main driver was capacity. Uh, okay. You know, second is certainly de-risking, you know, de-risking, you know, the supply chain, making sure that there's two two sources for these things for people that so that they uh, don't have to worry about, uh, you know, some you know, non-redundant non delivery mechanism. The third, which has sort of uh, subsided a little bit, was the amount of time at sea coming over for products from Asia um, during COVID had you know gotten close to seventy days. And um, mm. you know, certainly what does that compared to normally? Thirty, you know, under thirty, yeah. from twenty-eight to thirty, and we're we're kind of yeah. back to the normalized process. But you know, certainly that part in the you know the in you know in China with the zero tolerance COVID policy, you know, you never 
you can't predict that somebody might not just shut down their ports all of a sudden, and, and you, you need to have that alternative source to get your products. Okay. Great. Another area I wanted to touch on quickly is um, Gap or the generic access platform, right? Because you know ATX was pretty far out in front um, there with it, but then you know sold the Gap intellectual property to Vesema in 2021. But there was a, the door was left open for you to also develop Gap products uh, if it would make sense to do that. So. Uh, now that we are in 2022, and um, you know we are seeing some uh, some gaps of the surface, you know, particularly at the Cable Labs thing in April. Um, but uh, I guess what is it on your roadmap? Where does kind of gap fit in, you know, from the ATX point of view? Yeah, yeah, all, all the facts here are, are correct, and gap is in our plan today. Okay. Um, you know, depending on the use case for the gap node, whether it's you know Doxus 3.1 DAA or Doxus 4.0 DAA, it may be you know late 2023 use cases, um, or it could be you know early to mid 2024 for trials. Um, and you know we're we're tracking to that. Um, you know this you know cable operators traditionally always want to have at least two sources for the products that they build. Uh, I think Vesema is a great, great company and, and uh, we're, you know, we work well with them in a couple of areas already today. So um, we're, you know, we think that it's a complimentary move for us to develop this product and that the cable industry will have a need for it. Okay. Last thing, and, and maybe this was already kind of baked into the discussion for the last 25 minutes, and, and that was uh, kind of top priorities. You know, 2023 is just around the corner. Um, you know, it looks like you've got uh, your, your multiple balls in the air, lots of lots of <laughs> yeah. stuff going on. But if you had to kind of, you know, boil it down, I mean, what are, what's kind of the, the top one or two priorities for the company for next yeah. year? It's great. It's a timely question as we're wrapping up our three-year planning now and laying out the budgets for next year. Without question, at the top of our list is continuing to meet and exceed HFC product deliveries to help the MSOs meet their network upgrade plans. You know, I'm really proud of the way the ATX team has performed through 21 and 22 in this regard. Um, we are launching some new products this year. And uh, we'll have to get that right. Certainly getting the 1.8 gigahertz amplifier portfolio to market as soon as we can with the right quality is right at the top of the list for us. Um, you know, this is uh, the MSOs have been very loud and clear with us that they want to make this move and, and we want to help facilitate that. Um, you know, supporting the delivery of, um, you know, the 1.2 gigahertz uh, products that they need today is still really, really the, the thing that we have to do, we, we went out, and I know we did an announcement on this. Um, we, we have uh, now delivered some prototypes of our 204 megahertz digital return that fits in the, the Cisco GS7000 node. Um, out, you know, and, and essentially, we're getting that product out to market at the end of this year, but into scale next year. It's a critical part of enabling 1.2 gigahertz high split solutions um, for customers that are going that direction inside of that node housing, which is pretty widely deployed. Um, so we think that's the one that uh, is also very important to these operators that recognize 
they need to start delivering gigabit symmetrical services on their HFC networks to compete with fiber. Um, and, and they can do that without a lot of additional cost, obviously staying in, in, you know, staying that way. Um, one we announced, uh, right at SCT and, and, uh, took people through is we're bringing a new green energy storage solution to market and have multiple trials underway today. I think we're at since six customer trials today already um, and expect to start seeing orders on that product, um, helping the operators make the transition from lead acid based batteries to capacitor based en energy storage is very important to us and really important to the environment. And uh, our operator and the cable operators as they're seeing this, um, the cost savings for them over time is significant. The, the life expectancy of these products and not having the environmental cleanup requirements, it, it's uh, the life expectancy for these products 10 to 18 years compared to three to five for lead acid battery and yeah. no cleanup after, uh, you know, and uh, it's better for the environment. Um, Where is this deployed? Sorry, with the, the uh, energy storage. Yeah, we haven't deployed it yet. We have it in six oh, yeah. trials today. So as yeah. soon as we have a trial, we'll be coming back to talk to you about it. Yeah. Or, you know, field deployment, we'll be coming back to talk to you about it. It's so important to us. Um, and then we have several other HFC developments, you know, whether it's TAPS, um, upgrade paths for TAPS to support 1.8, or it's node developments. Um, we may take on some legacy node development and also bringing GAP to market and then you know, optical amplification, um, you know, all this rural and underserved, um, you know, delivery, and then some cable operators opting to deliver, uh, you know, services to new, you know, to greenfield over optics. Uh, the need for optical amplification has become more important. And, you know, we have a number of customers deploying our product as an EDFA to help them do that. Um, the team, the elves are going to be very busy this year, for sure. I was going to say, uh, it seems like your your uh, plate is uh, overfloweth, which I guess is a good thing to have. So, um, great. Well, I look forward to um, staying in touch with you guys, you know, as things progress, whether it's uh, on the Access Network, the training, you know, every, every other, you know, uh, nook and cranny of the industry that you you're involved in but um you know i think that's where i know we covered a lot of the ground but i think that's where we're going to leave it uh for today dan so thanks for joining the podcast and an opportunity to catch up on you know what's going on in your neck of the woods so glad we had a chance to do this really appreciate it happy thanksgiving to you and your family as well yeah you too thanks dan all right